that's a beautiful synopsis of the New Testament, of the scriptures, of what Jesus came and did. Absolute beautiful song. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Kay. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we'll be this morning. Look there if you can find the scripture text. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Obviously, in the first century, the tradition of the Lord's Supper was being established. First time ever, really, in the context of the Christian church, obviously. The Lord's Supper was established by 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We see where the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians of what the Lord's Supper was all about. That song even explained it very well, too. The history, a synopsis of the history of the life of Christ. Uh, we come and we'll recognize and celebrate that this morning as well, gratefully. Again, thanking God for the sacrifice. Before we do, though, we want to remember many of our congregation this morning, some who are here, some who are absent. Uh, we got a confirmation this morning that Twyla Bowen is back in the hospital. We want to note that, and her family uh, sent us a text today begging that we would pray for her, for Twyla. It's argumentative, not a major argument, but Twyla may be the oldest member of our congregation. Uh, there's a toss-up between her and another I'll read, keep anonymous because I don't want anybody to be offended. I've done way too many Mother's Days to know you don't bring up age when you're talking about the oldest member of any congregation. <laughs> Boy, uh, yeah. But Twyla may be. She may be the matriarch of our church. And she's in the hospital right now at St. Joseph, back in the hospital. She's been in and out the past month or so. And her daughter specifically asked us to pray. And you know why she asked us to pray. You know, I'm sure. Um, she probably, the daughter, has been watching us on Facebook the past few days where hundreds of people are praying for Mike Swetnam, Laura Swetnam's family down in Columbus. Uh, you know, most of you remember Leslie. Of course you do. Leslie was superlative in high school and was a very active member of our church and married a wonderful man, J.J. Owens, Dr. J.J. Owens. Well, Leslie was in a bad automobile golf cart accident on Thursday, and Leslie and two of her four children, they were in the vehicle, and they all three ended up having to go to the hospital, and one, Ella, is still in the hospital in Atlanta, and I'm sure that Twyla's family watched all the prayers and also the wonderful reports that Dr. Jones was giving us almost every, every day, if not twice a day, to let us know how Leslie was doing and how the kids were doing. Leslie went home, I believe, yesterday, and so did Jace, their youngest son. But there are others that want our prayers, too. Carol is missing this morning. You notice that? She's missing. I miss having her here. Uh, she's our missionary conscience in a lot of ways. You know, we pray for her. She's at home on the mend following shoulder replacement. I still, when I think about that, I'm thinking, we pray for Carol today, and then we pray for some of you, many of you. We're praying for your spouse, and we're praying for your children, and for the concerns of your family, other concerns too. Uh, we've sung the hymns of our faith, How Firm a Foundation. I love that song. Kay, you just turned it up right there, that last verse, and it was wonderful. All the way through, the music has been good. The messages that we've already received in our soul, they have been transforming. And now we get to pray for one another. So would you pray with me now as we join our hearts into one? Let me voice our prayer, if I may. Father, it really is amazing to think that right now you can be in all those places. 
right now. You've got your, your arm over our shoulder here, and you've got your arm over their shoulder there. And right now, God, you can bring peace through the physicians and through the nurses and the medicines and through the helpers who just show up. Father, we're grateful for that. Thank you for those who even this week, God, went across thresholds that they did not anticipate. The, those who went through accidents and those who had new diagnoses and those who had other difficulties. Thank you, God, no matter what the storm, for being an anchor upon which we can hold and find security. Thank you for being there for us, Lord, and watching over us and nurturing us and Oh, God, thank you for the helpers who just show up, the anonymous people that become messengers of your grace. Thank you, God. So, Lord, we lift up all these saints. We lift them all to you, and we beg your healing mercy and grace to flow from this room throughout every corner that we've mentioned. Thank you, Lord. Bless us now, Father, as we try our best to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As you're finding that, I want to tell you a story a little bit of what happened in one of the top ten events, spiritual events of my life. And I don't know as where I appreciate it. It was one of those stories like you really don't appreciate it as it's happening, but then in retrospect, looking back over it, you can say, wow, that was one of those events. It happened back in January of 2006, the last couple of days of January 2006, 15 years later now, it's still one of the most moving experiences of my life. It really is. Life-changing. One of those faith experiences that you only have a few times in your life, and Pam and I have relived it a hundred times just talking about it, and I'll never forget it at all. It happened in Macon uh, at my mom's visitation and then at her funeral the next day. It happened. Of course, that was a tremendous moment. Of course. Mom, dear to my soul to this day, and I can't talk about her much because if I do, I'll start tearing up even now. Uh, of course. But, you know, she had had a stroke, and uh, for seven days, we had our own ventilators and all that the medical science could do. And the cortex of her brain was affected by the stroke, and essentially she was flatlined, but her uh, brain stem was still very much alive. Everything about her was still fit functioning physically. Heart rate, perfect, kidney, everything, perfect, perfect, perfect. And theoretically, yeah, they could have kept her alive even to this moment. And she would have been alive, but she would not have been alive. Cortex was gone, but she just wasn't there. So on day seven, we took her off the ventilator, and she lingered for four more days and then died on a Sunday morning at the end of January. Well, of course, you can imagine what the next two or three days were like because you've been there too. I know you've had to go through the funeral home experience and then all that preparation and all the family gathering and all the food stuff and all that. And we went through that celebration too of life. We went through all those experiences and that's where that spiritual event was taking place around me. And I didn't understand it until in retrospect. And that's when I began to see it. It happened on that evening of her visitation and then the next morning it was a typical january time of the year uh, everything about it was like it would be like it has been for you and all of your experiences when you go to the funeral home 
that Monday night, as soon as some of you could get off from work and collect the kids and then find the babysitters, or you, if they were old enough, you brought them along, and, and you would grab a bike maybe as you drove an hour or so to be able to stand by, our, uh, stand by us. You sacrificed to be there with us. Some of you waited all day so that mutual friends could get off and then y'all could ride together. And that way you'd save on transportation expense. And you met at a central point and then you drove or maybe even sped to come be there with us. Because Mondays aren't good for your schedule though. You couldn't come on that Monday night so you decided you would come on Tuesday. Uh, you would be there with us on that Tuesday because you knew that we were hurting. And 15 years later, I'm still grateful beyond my words to tell you what it means. Your only reason for sacrifice of money and time and effort was to stand by me and Pam and Brandon and Benjamin because you knew we were hurting. You came all that way. You found a new address that you had never been there before and you went and did all that. You stood in line. Some of you stood outside the the funeral home for 45 minutes on a January frosty night and you saw maybe a couple of faces that you recognized but everybody else was new to you you didn't know who they were you knew that they were special because they were there to visit with us but you didn't know them but we knew them and we knew you we knew everybody there pretty much there were some that were just extraneous friends of friends. We didn't know them necessarily, but we knew 90% of the people that, that came there that night. And then the next day, a little warmer than usual January Monday, uh, the next day, uh, you came and you bundled up because it's January and you stood outside in the cold to be with us. And even though you didn't know but a few other faces there, you knew that they were special to us. And it was almost like a, a converging of worlds. People from West Georgia, people from Covington, people from Macon, people from Social Circle, Georgia, people from Gordon, Georgia, people from all the way from down in Darien. We even had some came from Kentucky. You didn't know who they were, but we knew who they were. You remember those two movies? I've watched them a few times each. Remember Places in the Heart? And I know you saw the movie Titanic. Some of you youngers, you won't appreciate this, but some of you others will. Um, the Places in the Heart. You remember that last scene where the camera goes down the pews of the church back and forth and back and forth, and you see just nondescript personalities at first, and then you see a familiar face that's been in the movie, and you go back and forth, and then the last row in the back, you see people that had died that were in that. Remember Places in the Heart, Sally Field? Remember? And remember at the Titanic movie at the end, the last scene, you know, after the collapse of the ship and it's been submerged for all the years, decades, and at the end, you see where the ship kind of comes back together and you see all the characters in that main uh, stairwell, that beautiful mahogany and all that carving. And they're all there, even though all of them had died, they were all there. Remember that? It's a bizarro world, to use one of those experiences that we did with Seinfeld over the years. Bizarro. All the worlds converged. And we were seeing it. We thought, you know, we knew everybody. And we, I know that there were 
people there that if I had time to introduce you to them, y'all would be best friends. Oh, <laughs> uh, y'all would go to lunch every week just to spend a couple of hours talking and visiting. You would do that because you know them and you know their skill set. We had attorneys and we had we had superior court judges and and we we had doctors and we had educators. All oh, the educators are in this room now. I could introduce you to some educators and y'all would become quick friends. Your personalities and your spirit and all that you are, all that you enjoy, that you're passionate about in life. Those of you who are musicians, I could introduce you to, uh, uh, to 50 other musicians in all these different churches. And my goodness, you're talking about a choir time. Oh, my, well, they put a choir together. And all these had converged into that address there at Macon Memorial Park. And though you didn't know what a couple of faces, we knew everybody. And these, world, these worlds had come together. We had a taste of that last Wednesday night, didn't we? It had been a long time since we had fellowship, hadn't it? It had been a long time. I didn't realize how long it had been. Tori and Corey and the kids opened their homes to us to come out there and have a barbecue for Carter and Alyssa, and it was wonderful. The fellowship was good. Everybody kind of gathered together. We parked and we got out of the car and we kind of coming up to the house and everybody gathered a little bit on the outside and some were on the inside and we were just enjoying our time together. And there was something about that that was just so compelling, so wonderful. We hadn't tasted that in a year and a half. And, by, you know, I don't know if we really appreciated it as the moment took place. It was in retrospect. When I go back, when I started thinking about Lord's Supper, in 1 Corinthians 11, it was like another converging of thought where I remember that glorious event, painful though it is still to think about my mom gone, but it was such a glorious event. It was like that last scene in Places in the Heart and last scene of Titanic where everybody got together and there was joy and there was celebration and there was goodness. That's what we're doing today. Do you see it? That's what we did Wednesday night. Food was great. We've had good food over the past year and a half, that's for sure. But the food was, I think, had a better taste to it because we were all together. And what I really liked about it was the intergenerational grouping. Kids were running around crazy. Noisy kids. From the babies all the way to the teenagers. Just noise, noise, noise. And it was glorious. And the adults that were there feeding each other and helping each other and cleaning up after each other and just making it wonderful. And I don't know if we, we appreciated it as it happened. I know this. You missed it and so did I. And now we come to the Lord's table. Same thing. First Corinthians 11. Have you found it yet? By now, you've had enough time, and I've reminded you enough, for goodness sake, by now. Look at verse 17. The, the folks in, Cor in Corinth had forgotten about it. First Corinthians 11, verse 17. The Apostle Paul was angry with this church. Look what he says in that first sentence. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. I'm not surprised. 
No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another one gets drunk. Are you kidding me, drunk? Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Boy, Paul, let it out. Let us hear what you, how you feel here, buddy. He was upset with them. They had lost the fellowship. They had lost the sense of fellowship. They had lost the joy of coming together around the Lord's Supper. Obviously, they were practicing the Lord's Supper. This is the earliest recollection of there of their being a ritual called the Lord's Supper in the early church. The earliest recollection, probably A.D. 70, maybe 75. So the institution of the Lord's Supper had become a ritual in the congregation. And believe it or not, First Baptist Manchester, can you believe that people were taking the Lord's Supper for granted? Oh, that would never happen here. People just being so self-centered and so concerned about what they can get, 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 that they got everything. And to the, to the, to the, everybody else was, became irrelevant. The family of God was not important. I want to fill my stomach. That's the only thing that's important. I want to get my drink and be happy with it, regardless if there's no one in the church, no one else who gets anything. Paul would not commend them on that. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I have passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For wherever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many of you are weak and sick. Some are even falling asleep. You've not, they've died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged by, in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat, should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. We've got to be aware of the body of Christ when we come to this table. Jesus Christ died, crucified, resurrected, ascended into heaven. His body was broken. Oh, my. Vivid image there. His blood was spilled. Vivid image there. And we come to this table on equal ground. It doesn't matter where we're from. It doesn't matter our gender. It doesn't matter our race. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Those things evaporate when we stand at the Lord's table. Those things which set us, gives us status 
ahead of somebody else in this world. Those things that, that richness and education and, and gender, superiority, anything that separates us in the world vaporizes when we come to this table. This is the Lord's table. Remember when Jesus, on the cross, remember he's cross-eyed with pain. The death is imminent. He looks down from the cross and he sees Mary, his mother, and sees the beloved disciple, John. One of the last things he does, and how in the world could he think of this? One of the last things he does is he looks at his mother and he says to his mother, Behold your son. And then he looks at John and he says to John, Behold your mother. And it's as if what he's doing in the... On top of everything else, he had time to tell them of the importance of relationship. Mary, here's your new son who will take care of you in your old age. And John, this is your mother now. You take care of Mary, my mother. Relationship. Never understanding it in January of 2006. But in retrospect now, after 15 years, I can see the eternal value of those relationships. Worlds converged <laughs> all the way to that building on University, Mercy University Drive in Macon. All the worlds converged, and there were 15 different worlds converged, and they stood in line just to give me a shoulder to cry on or to shake my hand or to pat me on the back. All these worlds converged in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the table. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the sisters and brothers who've gone before us from this altar. The hundreds of men and women whose names many of we have forgotten, and they'll never be re recollected again unless we go to the cemetery and we see the marker. Or maybe a family member will call to ask us to remember them in prayer. Some lives, Lord, have just moved on. And even though the marker says, gone but not forgotten, well, it's been a while since any family member went back to that marker. We thank you, Lord, for converging the worlds at this pivot point right here, right now. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us we can put aside all theology discussion. We can put aside all argument, all religious differences. We can put aside, put aside anything that separates us and we come together as one around this table so bless us lord again for the first time in 18 months lord thank you for a chance to celebrate communion the way we are we have communion communion thank you god bless us lord as we ponder and think about the bread as we hold the cup bless us as we think about it god in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
got a good friend whose name is W.O. Meadows, and I've told you, W.O. Meadows, believe it or not, he went to Waffle House so much in Macon, he actually has a plaque on a wall at a Waffle House on Riverside Drive. When W.L. died, they put a plaque on the wall honoring W.L. W.L. was a Waffle House kind of guy. People who have PhDs go at Waffle House to eat a good breakfast. And people who have GEDs are sitting there right behind them. Did you know that? You might have an artist who's a wonderful painter, and right beside him is a painter who's still got paint in his hair from last night when he was painting somebody's ceiling. You might have somebody who is a diehard liberal Democrat, proud of it, and they're sitting right there at the bar beside one of the most conservative Republicans that you never would know. <laughs> That's a Waffle House kind of place where you can eat. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter. We come now to this table. I don't care where you're from. <laughs> I'm just glad to welcome you to the Lord's table. So you ponder that when the deacons ah, pass the elements. You hold on to that bread until all have been served. And you hold on to that cup until all have been served. And then when they're served, we will do it as a family. We will take the elements as one. So you listen and just participate in this silence. And as the music is played, you allow your spirit to engage the spirit. Let's enjoy the Lord's Supper together. 